Father, our prayer this morning is, is that you would strengthen us because we have waited upon you. Waited upon you, Lord, that we spend time in your word, that we pray, that we fellowship together. And because of that, we would be strengthened in this evil age, that we would be strengthened in our Christian lives. And all for the purpose, Lord, of glorifying you and seeing your word go out into the lives of others. So once again, we just give up this time to you, that Holy Spirit, you would guide us, speak to us, teach us and instruct us to your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. If you are of high school age, we do have high school groups. If you're, people that are new to the church may not realize this, but we have a high school group that comes in here for worship, but then goes into the high school room for, uh, for service. And so if that applies to you, then that's open to you. If you're old like the rest of us, you can't go. Sorry. I'd like to thank Robert Baltanano for filling in for me last week. It's just amazing at one point Robert mentioned this, that he was in a class at Chino Valley, a Bible college class that I, I did at Calvary Chapel Chino Valley, and you just never know who you're discipling. And, and, and it's just not me as a pastor, but it's you and the opportunities that you have. And the Lord just uses things. It's just an, an amazing thing. Why wasn't I here last week? Well, my wife had told me, she warned me. She said, if I left my dirty socks out one more time, she was going to kill me. So I went and gathered all my dirty socks and threw them throughout the, the whole room. And she hurt me really bad. But I have since healed, and here I am today. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Since we spent two or three weeks in the first two verses, we'll move on today. We'll be starting at verse 3. And another thing, uh, most, most of you may not realize this, but we do broadcast live on Facebook now. And um, for instance, usually a Sunday morning service, we'll have double the people that watch it on Facebook also from, I've had somebody from Australia watching it. Um, you don't know everybody who, who watches it, just people that respond. So it's an amazing thing. We've since have purchased, this week we got it in, a new camera. And so just want you to know your tithe money at work. The word of God is going throughout the world. And that's the, our intent and that's the purpose. And so um, if you know somebody that maybe doesn't want to go to church, maybe can't go to church, there is that opportunity online. Now, we did see Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren. So if you're sitting at home with, uh, with a pizza on your, on your belly, laying on the couch, it's not what it's for. It's for those who can't come or reaching out to those who may not come. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have, or, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives." If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, 
of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subjection in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Father, I just pray that we would see where this chastening fits into our lives, that we would view it, Father, from a different perspective, that we would not endure these times of, uh, of correction, but, Father, we would embrace these times of correction, that, Lord, we would be all whom you desire for us to be. And so, Father, through this study, I pray that you would show us the reality of these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. If you were watching the Olympics this past couple of weeks, you saw once again, and it seems to come from Russia quite a bit, but there was another doping scandal. Somebody was tested and they found out that he was not participating according to the rules. He had stepped outside of the rules and so there was discipline that was necessary. What was kind of weird though, this guy was one of those people that slides the rock. I don't know what kind of drugs you take to make you slide the rock better, but apparently this guy was doing it. And Paul tells us that those who participate must participate within the rules. And so the last couple of weeks previous, we have been seeing that we are to enter into this race and we are to run this race and we are to run this race well. And it's not so much about who wins first, second, or third. It's about who runs it well and who endures all the way to the end. But again, we must participate according to the rules, and that's kind of the idea here today. Because in our Christian lives, in any event that you're called to give of yourself to, but again, our Christian lives, swimming with the flow, it's easy. Going against the grain, it's hard. Living a life in the flesh, that's easy. Walking according to the Spirit, that's hard. It takes effort. Slipping away or staying stagnant, that's easy. So many people regress to it. But holding fast to faith, that's hard. To live a holy Christian life is hard. You have to give up the flesh. You have to die to the flesh. You, you have to give up some of your dreams and aspirations, but it's all for the glory of God, and it's for the benefit of God, and it's that which God blesses as we do. Some of us, upon becoming Christians, have suffered. We've suffered criticisms, problems, hardships, and conflicts, things that we would not have suffered if we were still in the world. And we see these difficult things and we learn in the midst of them because God is constantly changing you. He's constantly transforming you. And the biggest change and the biggest transformation comes about for those things that will strike deep within your chest, deep within your soul, deep within the persona of who you are. Because again, each one of those athletes they gave of themselves. They gave of themselves for that time of training. They gave of themselves for, for practicing and all that because they, they had that goal, they were willing to sacrifice. And at times they were willing to experience discipline because every once in a while the flesh would well up. I was looking at the skateboard, not the skateboarders, the snowboarders. The snowboarders, you know, they go flying up in the air and do 360s and I'm looking at that and I told my grandson, I can do that. I can do the, I can, I can do the whole thing, I just can't do the landing. 
The landing is the hardest part. Landing on your head, landing on your face, it's never a good thing. So I can go splat, but I can fly through the air because there's laws of gravity. But that's ridiculous, Pastor Mike, because you're not really participating according to what is necessary to receive the prize. And at times we kind of let that down. And because we let down in that, God, God's going to bring correction into the equation. In 2 Timothy 3.12 it says, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Now the persecution that is being spoken of here is as we who are of the Spirit enter into the world. And then even at that persecution it gets really hard and it feels like the temperature is turned up one more notch than you can stand and it feels like faith can be flowing down and you can't see how you can hold on any longer. But God says, I've given you witnesses in this, people who have gone before you, people who have endured and people who have, have, have moved when, well, it just seems like the, the opposition was insurmountable. In Hebrews, in our verses here today, chapter 12, verse 3, we are told to consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Two things that we are told in the book of Hebrews, in the general section of Scripture that we are to consider, two things that you are to look at and apply to your life and see how it works in the reality of your life And the first one is in chapter 11, verses 36 through 37, that great cloud of witnesses, those people who have gone before you and seen the things that they've suffered. And as we look at the scriptures and we see the stonings, we see the apostle Paul, the shipwrecks and the whippings and all of these things, who are we that we ought not to be going through such things? Well, and who are we as for the most part, we're not going to go through such things you probably won't be stoned. You probably will not be whipped for your faith. As I said so many times, probably the worst thing that's going to happen, they'll talk bad about you. And that's about it. And so how can I go into heaven and have a discussion with the Apostle Paul? Paul said, yeah, you know, with those shipwrecks, I was out in the deep for days, and there were the beatings, imprisonments, and all of that. And Isaiah would say, that's nothing. They sawed me in half. I was alive. They sawed me alive in half. Can you imagine that? And, and, and then Jeremiah said, well, I had a pretty hard time. Yeah, they didn't kill me, but nonetheless, they even threw me in a sewer once. And then they would say, hey, 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 Pastor Mike, what'd they do to you? I got letters. I got really mean, le- really mean emails. Or, again, fill in the blank with what we suffer today. They were talking about me. They weren't going to be my friend anymore. They'd probably look at me and say, did you ever progress? past kindergarten it's like come on that that's that's nothing and so we need to look back and we need to consider that great great cloud of witness that have paid a price so that i wouldn't have to pay such an intense price that they had to pay and what i'm talking about is the freedom that i have to share christ so consider the cloud of witnesses but also consider christ upon the cross And that's the ultimate Jesus Christ, who is God, who humbled himself, who came in the form of man and endured the cross. Why? He endured the shame of the cross because he wanted to see you saved, to present that opportunity to all of humanity. And so the cloud are our heroes of faith. The Christ is the epitome of our faith. The thing that stands out in both examples is their will was surrendered for the greater good. Now that's a hard one. Have you surrendered your will for God's greater good? 
so many of us will have an opinion, we'll have desires, we'll direct our will towards what we think or maybe even what we want, but have you surrendered your will to what God desires and what God wants? And think of what it means to surrender your will. Part of that is to admit you were wrong. Part of that is to admit you don't know everything, you just think you do. Part of that is to truly trust in Christ. I mean, to come before God and say, Thy will be done, is to have that understanding wherever it is that God leads us, wherever it is that God directs us, I'm willing to go. If you remember Jonathan, he was up here a couple of weeks ago going to Nepal. He felt like the Lord directed him there, and he's, I don't know if he's traveling yet or not, but I believe he's still there. And he's going through these outer villages and seeing the things that the Lord's doing and seeing the things that are, are, are needed there. And he's going to bring a report back to us. You saw Jake and Christina, Sean's daughter and son-in-law, and you saw this young family and you've got these two little kids and they feel called to minister to the Muslims who are in India. Are you willing to surrender your will to those things? And a lot of us will hold off on surrendering our will because we're afraid what God may bring up. We're afraid of what may, God may tell us to do. But then again, you have to realize, who is he? He's God. He only has the best intents for you. And he wants to use you. And some of us he wants to use to a greater degree, but it's going to require us letting go of what our will is in order to submit to his will. To the degree that we are able to surrender our will to God is the degree that we will find peace, patience, and perseverance in the midst of doing God's will. If you are living a life apart from God's will, maybe you think you're doing it for your personal peace, but as all you're going to have is upheaval within your life until you are in the will of God. Prayer, prayer is the best place to start. Prayer is the altar at which your will is sacrificed to a holy God. Just as Jesus' will was surrendered to the Father in John 6:38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of he who sent me. Now keep in mind what that will was. That will was, was for Christ to go upon the cross. But not just to go upon the cross, but to receive the sins of the world upon him. And think of the magnitude of what that means. Our holy God, who has never experienced sin in all of his being, and he was in existence for all eternity past, at that point of history on Mount Calvary, he took the sins of the world upon him. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating tears of blood? That's the reason. It wasn't the scourging, because we look at the scourging and we saw the passion of Christ and to be tortured to that degree, I can imagine what that must be like. I can't imagine what it must be like to be nailed to a cross. I can't imagine to have that javelin shoved inside of you. And, and just again, to have that, that torturous existence, even, for, even though it was just a matter of, of hours, and it would at some point pass, still, you look forward to that, and it's just not... Well, anything any of us would want to experience. But that's not what he was concerned about. What he was concerned about is being holy God and taking your sins upon him. But he willingly paid the price. Why? Because he knew what the will of the Father was from the foundation of the earth. He understood why he came into the world and it was to save sinners. And as he fulfilled that plan, that plan that there's nobody else who could fulfill because, well, you could go to a cross and you can say, well, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. But the problem is you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that being the case, you would have to first pay the price for your own sins. 
Well, the idea, the picture there is, is that you would have to be on that cross for all of eternity. Well, Jesus, being sinless, he did not deserve to go and pay a price for his own sin because he'd had no sin. And so he was then able to pay the price for all of humanity. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So our will is to be surrendered to the one who understands what it means to be made vulnerable. Apostle Paul, because he saw that example in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives within me. I've, been cruci- I, I've died to my own will. Paul, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We've seen this in our studies, but he died to his own self-righteousness. And God, whatever it is that you want, I'm open to your will. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live. It's no longer about my will, but it's Christ who lives within me. In this life I live in the flesh. He was an imperfect person. He lives by faith in the Son of God who loves him. He understands this concept and gave his life for him. I am who I am by the grace of God. So let me ask you, in all your pain, suffering, times of trouble, difficult days, have you, look at verse 4, have you not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin? Have you paid the ultimate price? Well, obviously not. The ultimate price is not just dying, but suffering unto death for the purpose of the salvation of souls. Now, I cannot save anybody, but I can definitely suffer for the purpose of being used in the process. And I would imagine there's very few people that could stand up here today and say that I have suffered for the purpose of the salvation of souls. The crowd in the cloud, they gave us the picture as they did suffer to a degree, but Christ on the cross gave us the reality of it all. He was all in. He gave everything. But as far as our garden variety, everyday sufferings that we personally experience, well, they're actually, for the most of us, they're deserved sufferings. So we have these sufferings that come from the world because we're, we're, we're in the will of God and the will of God's always going to be contrary to the world. But there are going to be sufferings that aren't that which comes from the world, but they're deserved sufferings. And again, it's the main theme of what we're looking at here today. It's actually sufferings for correction that is given to us for the purpose of growth. All for his reasons and all for his purposes. Have you ever asked yourself, what in the world is going on? It seems like there's just one thing after another, after another. There's just this cloud of spiritual attack and darkness that seems to be hanging over my head. Why is this going on? Well, it's a good question to ask. And you really need to seek yourself against God's holiness. Am I in the will of God? Could this possibly, these things possibly be God correcting me to get me into the path that he has set before me? Is there an area in my life that I know that God has called me to go to a particular, in a particular direction, and I've refused to do that? Have I refused the Lord? If you refuse the Lord, God loves you too much to leave you going down that wrong path. And so really, again, we have the answer here in our section of Scripture. This theme of our section of Scripture is God's direction and discipline. Nine times in the seven verses... You have the words chastened, rebuked, and corrected, and they're used in reference to disciplining. 
Discipline is used in the reference to training up a child in the way that he should go. It has to do with correcting cultivation and education for the purpose of developing maturity. God wants to see you to be a true, mature Christian. That doesn't come through head knowledge. It comes through applying head knowledge to the actions and to the deeds of your life. It's as we see our Christianity having an effect in us and then through us that we know that we are reaching a place of maturity. And so God has called us to study his Bible. God has called us to pray. He has called us to fellowship because he's working all of those things to our maturity that will work to the benefit of somebody else's salvation. Our child, we disciplined our children. We have four children, and now we have seven grandchildren, my wife and I. We discipline our children that they would grow up to be fully functioning adult in his and her society. And so, as far as us, God disciplines us to be a fully functioning Christian in his society according to his will. And so, we now see the picture of change from race, as we looked at the last couple of weeks, to the relationship between a father and a son. Now, this is a son who is the heir of the father. In our eyes, we not, may not see it, we ought not to see it as male and female, because this is, encompasses all of the body of Christ. But this is the son who is being trained to inherit all the riches of the father. And so this man must exhibit discipline. Remember the prodigal son? He had no discipline. He got his inheritance and it was woohoo. And he found himself eating pig pods. And so God wants to discipline us. He wants to grow us. He wants to mature us so that using his riches will be for his glory. Before we start, there are three ways that discipline is used by God for a child, to discipline a child in the scriptures. First is for reprimanding. This is corrective punishment because of willful sin. Our grandkids, it was quite a while ago that Seth, he was just a toddler at the time, he kept sticking his head in this cabinet and he would pull stuff out. And I was sitting there on the couch and I kept getting up and I didn't want to get up. And Noah was right there. Noah, I don't know, he was about four or five. I go, Noah, Seth's got his head in that cabinet again. Will you go there and shut the door? Well, Noah, being obedient, he went and shut the door. He just didn't wait to Seth, removed his head from the door. <laughs> it was funny. It had an impact on me. I continue to remember it even today. But how many times has the door been closed on your head because you've stuck your head where it simply doesn't belong? And again, we can so easily do that. And God reprimands us when we go in that direction. When you stick your nose in somebody else's business, when you stick your nose in the affairs of the world or whatever, those doors can be slammed so very abruptly. With King David, it came after the sin of him numbering the children of Israel. He was warned not to do it. It was an element of pride. He wanted to see how many people he had compared to how many people the nations of the world had. But God says, I'm your strength. Don't worry. Your power is not in the people. Your power is in your relationship with me. But David ignored that, and he went and had his people numbered. God came back on him and said, okay, now you have a choice how you're going to be corrected. And he gave him a choice that he could be running for his enemies and, um, for a period of time. And, and, and David just looked at all the options and basically said, Lord, you discipline me. You discipline me according to your goodness and according to your grace. Now, to be disciplined by God according to goodness and grace doesn't mean that you don't pay a price. 
When I disciplined my children, I tried to discipline them according to goodness and according to grace, but I still disciplined them. Whatever that punishment was that fit the crime, they got the punishment. I was gracious to punish them because my God has been gracious to punish me. Well, David understood the grace of God, and he understood that he was going to go through a time of punishment, but he was willing to do that because he understood the goodness of God. And so, kind of like our parental option, you have an opportunity today, those of you who have kids, you can discipline them in love. Discipline them in love is to discipline them caring. It's to discipline with them to see change come about. It's to understand that they're going in a way that's not acceptable by society or scriptural by the Bible and to stop them from going in that way so that they can go not just with the flow, but they can go in God's ordained way, the way they conduct their lives. And so you have the opportunity to discipline them in love. And sometimes you're going to have to do the hard discipline, whatever you have determined that that would be for your child. But if you fail to do that, sooner or later, and the prisons are full of them, you have the people who will be disciplined by a judge as far as outside of love. He could care less. He just doesn't want to see that face in his courtroom anymore. And so I have this opportunity. I can discipline my children in love, or I can allow the world to discipline them apart from love. It's God's desire to enter into his discipline with you, to guide you through it, and to bring you out of it. We saw that on Thursday night. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. God is saying, I've got a plan for you from the foundation of the world. And as I have this plan for you from the foundation of the world, it has never altered, it has never changed. It's always been built upon the foundation of love. Correction is necessary at this point. Now you, as you're sitting in Babylon, speaking to Judah, the southern kingdom, you probably think it's all over. You're probably thinking, where is God? How come God loves us no longer? How can this possibly happen? But God is saying, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I know what is right, I know what is good, and I know what is proper. Thoughts of peace and not evil. Now, what I'm doing, God, in essence, is saying in their Babylonian captivity, these things are not evil. They're really, really hard, but they're not evil. Thoughts of peace and not evil. Why? To give you a future and a hope. And so if I just ignore my children today, what hope do they really have? What trust are they able to have in the future? And if God just kind of let me go according to my flesh, yeah, I made this profession of faith way back then, but woohoo, I'm going to heaven, so why don't I just live like hell? And if that's the case, I mean, I saw somebody... Hey, it is shocking, but it should be shocking that people do that. It should be shocking when you have done that, when I have done that, when we all have done that. It's a shocking thing that people do that. And it ought not to be so. And so God, he's going to bring us into discipline. So first of all, he disciplines us, but the purpose of his discipline is for reprimanding. Secondly, the second, the second way that God disciplines us is for a deterrence. The Lord will place fences of discipline around us to protect us from our harmful decisions. When was it? Last, wasn't Saturday. I don't remember. One day last week when I was trying to recover, we went, it was last Monday, I went by my grandson's house and my wife wanted to show me something and there was a board that was missing from the fence. 
and this fence is in between my daughter's house and the house next door. And the problem, the house next door has a swimming pool. And my wife was real worried about that and the children going through that, legitimately so, and worried about them, you know, jumping in that pool. I don't remember how old Henry is. He's about five, something like that. And um, uh, what is the other one's name? <laughs> Max. <laughs> My mind is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> Somebody out there knew before I did. Um, Max is somewhere around two as well, and so it wouldn't be a good thing for them to get back there. And so she was like, get away from there. Don't go near there. How come you don't have that, that, that slat back up there and whatever? And so the slat got put back up. What were we concerned about? We were concerned about them getting hurt. It's the reason that my, my wife and I wouldn't tell our kids, you know what, because we live over there on Mountain in Philadelphia in that general area, and the freeway's right there, and the kids want to go play. Yeah, go ahead, go play on the freeway. It's okay. No, if they went over there, they'd been disciplined. I remember I got disciplined very sternly. I got the belt. Why? Because where I grew up, we had the polywalk pond in La Mirada. And now all of these drainage things are all concrete, but back then they would be concrete in places and pipes, but then they would just kind of spill out in areas and kind of the swamp out there. And we used to go catch frogs, and we were back there catching frogs, and there was a train that went in that general area, and there was a bridge that went over the swamp area. And we decided we were going to go up on that bridge and stand and hold against the rail as the train went by. We thought that was a really cool thing, and that's what real men do. Well, we did it, and we survived it. You could kind of feel it trying to pull you in. And so I went home and told my dad. Shows you how stupid I was. I never did that again. My dad disciplined me. It was for the purpose of a deterrence, that any time I would even think about doing something like that, I would feel the pain that existed there for the week to come. And so... That's the reason that we give deterrence into the lives of our children. It's because we love them and we want them to consider their actions. And so we need to consider the things that we want to do that maybe we can't do. Is this God telling you no? I got saved and I have this opportunity to have this. I, I had my own electrical business and we had this job. And it was a time when things were slow, but it was at the World Trade Center. There was a World Trade Center in, uh, in Long Beach. And there was probably a room about this size and it was a pretty intense build out but the problem was it was a build out for a cult and I'm a new believer and I'm not really sure that I'm supposed to be doing something like that and so I'm asking people and the majority of the people told me yeah go for it just be a witness and whatnot and I knew God was telling me not to do it and at the time there was on uh, I don't remember the station but there was an AM station and there was a man named Rich Bueller if you remember Rich Bueller he had a show called Table Talk. It was a Christian show. And one day I told Terry, get, get, turn on the radio and get a tape recorder. I'm on the other line. I'm holding for Rich Bueller. I'm going to be on the, uh, I'm going to be on the radio. And she recorded it. I don't even know if you still have it or not. But I asked Rich if something I should do, and he gave me the thumbs up as well. But the problem is I know that God told me not to do it. I lost a ton of money on that job. God disciplined me, and he disciplined me sternly that I would have an ear to hear what the Spirit tells me and not what other people tell me, because we can do this. Lord, what do you want me to do? This is what I want you to do. I don't know if I really want to do that. Hey, what do you think I should do? What do you think? And we'll go and we'll take surveys, and then we'll gather up what the survey says, and even if it's contrary to what God says, and that's what we'll do. Well, you're going to suffer the repercussions. 
that's a reality in our Christian life. If there's a God in heaven, which there is, you're going to suffer the repercussions as you go against what you know God has told you not to do. Now, the third way that we see God's discipline is for tutoring, that we learn to listen and that we learn to recognize their voice. There's some overlappage here, but nonetheless. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 7, he was told to go up to Ai, and he was told to bring the whole army. God told them that. There was no doubt about it. But instead, he sent some spies, and they said, not a whole lot of guys there. Just send a few people up there. So he did, and they suffered a great defeat, and people died because of it. And God told him, he impressed the point upon him that he was to do what God had called him to do. And so there was discipline that was necessary. So in essence, what discipline does is it strengthens our grip on held fast faith that we would always be back where it is that God desires for us to be as his children or competing in that race or whatever example that you want to use. So all this being the case, Don't forget God's word because he'll use discipline to bring it back to your memory. Look at verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord or the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives." That's going to be a reality in your Christian life. Some of those things that you call trials aren't trials at all. They're times of discipline because you knew the word of God and what the word of God said, yet you refused to do it. So just think of all the Bible studies that you have ever heard, all the books, Christian books that you have ever read, all the biblical information that you gathered in your brain. What's more important, to get more of it or to better recall what you already know, and then to do it. And that's the essence of really what a mature Christian is. It's not about this continuing gathering of information. It's gathering the information and doing the information. And we're told at the beginning of the book of Revelation, we're told, blessed are you if you do these things. And so blessed are we if we do these things. And so the next time that you sit in a study and think to yourself, "Eh, I've already heard that. Yeah, Pastor Mike, but you know what? I heard, and you can fill in the blank of any well-known teacher, I sat underneath him when he taught that, and I think I pretty much already know everything that there is to know about it. Well, just know this, that it won't be long before discipline comes knocking at your door. Because if you're not doing those things, God is going to bring you into correction. The author is quoting an already known verse here from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. The greatest tool for teaching is repeating. And two things here. Do not despise correction or do not regard it lightly. Don't take it for granted. Don't just endure those times of correction, but seek all that God has for you in the midst of it. Don't be discouraged. Don't grow faint or tire out. Understand that God's doing this for the better. That as this is going on in my life, as I understand that God's disciplining me, he's disciplining me for his will and his purpose, that again, I would have that glorious future with him. Don't grow faint. Secondly, don't regret correction. Verses 6 through 8. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If God could care less about you, are you really a child of God through faith in Jesus? There are two main things that are proven through discipline. Number one, that God is your father. And God, as your father, will discipline you, but you need to know this and you need to understand it. You're not going to, in the midst of it, you're not going to really realize it, but never will God deal with you apart from love. And this is the love of God which surpasses understanding. There's never, if you're a born-again believer, there will never be a time in your existence that God will deal with you in any other way but in a spirit of love. And so it's important to understand that concept of discipline. As I'm being disciplined, what is the enemy telling you? Uh, If God really loved you, would he allow you to be going through this? If you're natural father really loved you would he spank you would he put you on correction would he do this would he do that and a lot of us came to the conclusion at the time no but then we look back as adults and say yeah it was necessary matter of fact i've taken that example in my discipline to my children and so if god is truly there and if he's truly your father if he truly cares if he truly loves you he's going to discipline you because the direction you have chosen is to your detriment and not according to your benefit. And God understands what your benefit is, and he's going to direct you back to the place that is necessary. Isaiah 63, 9 says, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bored them and carried them all the days of old. God is always there, he's always present, and he's always willing for whatever it is that is necessary. Now, before I became a pastor here, I was a children's minister at another fairly large church. And so I wasn't in the classroom. My job was pretty much to oversee it all and and whatnot. But I would have to deal with some of the, we'll just call them problem children for lack of a, a better term, children that the teacher could not control in the classroom. And I can remember a couple of children, now there could be many other issues that I don't know about, so uh, I'm not condemning them or even their parents by any stretch of the imagination, but specifically one. This, I always thought that there was something mentally wrong with this child. I mean, he would just do whatever he wants and you could get in his face and, you know, hey, I can't remember his name, but he, he just, like you weren't even there. And then I saw him interacting with his parents one day. And they just didn't, you know, they they make the threats, but they never disciplined him. And I just saw, God showed me at that moment the necessity of discipline and the importance of it and the great wrong that they had done to that child. I, I knew this family well enough to understand what was going on there. And it was a great wrong. They did. I don't know where that child or that family is today. I have no idea. But man, I just saw the great damage that they were doing by forsaking the discipline. And... I know the mother probably would have said that she loves him and that's why she would, but she wasn't expressing love in that. And so God, God's going to express love to you in a way that may be uncomfortable to you, in a way that maybe you don't really care to have it expressed to you, but never are we to have peace, never are we to have any kind of contentment apart from the will of God. And so God brings discipline in our lives. Again, those things that go deep down with inside of us for the purpose of changing us so that God would be glorified through us. And then lastly, don't forget God's word. Don't regret God's correction. 
and don't neglect the results, verses 9 through 11. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. So there's that reality. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. My father was a man's man. My father was rough. He came off of the streets of New Jersey. He was part of a gang during his time in high school and after his high school. He understood that he could continue to go in that direction, but it would be to his detriment. He joined the army, and so he had that seasoning that he got in the army. He then married my mother. They moved out here, and then they had me. My father was not a very patient man. My father was a man who won by intimidation a lot. When I was doing electrical, sometimes he'd have me go over to his shop and do some electrical there, and I remember talking to some of the guys that were there, and, and so, where would you come from? Well, I'm, I'm Hank's son. You're Hank's son? How did you put up with him all of your life? He's a tyrant. And he was like that. He would scare the tar out of people. Wasn't overimposing, but he was just that type of personality, ultimate and type A personality. And I could stand up here and tell you all the wrong that he did to me, and you'd probably feel pretty sorry for me. And there was stuff that he did that was over the top that he ought not to have done to a kid. It was just flat out wrong. But I hold in value the discipline that he did instill into my life. At times, I hated him. I flat out hated him. But now as I look back, I saw that all of that went into molding myself into the man that I am today. Not that I have obtained, but into the person that I have today. Now, some of the stuff I've had to disregard. Some of the stuff I've just had to forgive, and I just had to let go. Because if you dwell on that stuff, it's going to kill you. But I do see the positive of the discipline that he brought into my life. And again, it's made me a man who perseveres. It made me a man who's strong in the face of opposition. It's made me a man who, I'm just kind of that personality, I don't give up. And I'm not here to toot my own horn or, or anything like that. But the reason those attributes are within my life is because of the man who God used to discipline me. And I look back at the discipline that I exercised in my children's lives, and my children are far from perfect. They're far from perfect. I know every dirty, rotten thing that, well, I probably don't know everything. I'm sure these things that they haven't told me that I don't want to know. Um, but I've tried to discipline them to the best of my ability. And there's times that I went overboard. There's one instance that I just remember just so angry and so mad that I improperly disciplined my son that time. And I've asked for forgiveness because of it. But those things all lend into the character of the people who they are today. And I look at the character of the people who they are. Again, imperfect people, but I do see the times that my wife and I were on the same page. The, the times when my wife and I, when it was, well, you had to, it wasn't convenient at the time. You know, because you got kids in the next room and they're yelling and screaming and breaking things. If I have to go in there, you're going to get it. And they continue to yell and scream, one, two, and then by the time they keep doing it, you're just so mad at them, you're not disciplining them, you're just punishing them for making you get up and having to go in there. Well, you have to get up and go in there when they're kids. You, you have to participate in, there, in that disciplining them. 
And that's what God does with you. As a Christian, that's what God does with you. My past religious experience, God had told me a long time ago, don't use that as an excuse because it wasn't good. The things with my father, don't use that as an excuse because it doesn't hold water in the face of God. He's made you into a new creation. He loves you with all of his heart and he's going to do a good work that he's going to be faithful to complete within your life. There's not a person here, and I'm sure that we have people here that there's just been great wrong that has been done in your life, things that I'll never experience. I'm sure of it without a doubt. But give it over to God. Give it over to God and don't use it as an excuse. Be proactive in your Christian life. Understand that as the Spirit fills you and as he moves you, that God's going to use you in ways you never thought possible in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of the things that you're dealing with personally. Because again, I admit, those are realities and you can't just throw them off because that's just impossible. But God can take them from you. Seek him out. Seek him out with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your passion. And as far as the chastening of the Lord, as far as those times when he disciplines you, embrace that. Okay, what did I do wrong? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and what does the Bible say he'll do? He'll lift you up. He'll lift you up because that's what somebody who loves you does. Father, we just thank you, God, that you do love us. And Father, because of that great love with which you had for us, you died on the cross, Lord, but you didn't just leave it there. You continue to love us, to guide us, and to support us every day of our lives. And so, Father, I pray for those who are here today. And, Lord, I pray for those who have been hurt. I I pray, Father, for those who who just didn't understand what was going on and, and maybe even evil entered into their lives. And, Lord, we know that you're not the author of evil. That was not of you. But I just pray, Father, that they would be of the mindset of of seeking you out for that healing. I pray, Father, for all that are hurt and all of those, Lord, who have experienced hardships that were contrary to you, that, Father, they would be of that mindset of giving it to you. I pray for all of us, though, that as we do suffer from difficulties and disciplines and whatnot, that, Lord, we would look to you and see what you have for us. See why you're doing these things. What direction did I go that, did I go that may be the wrong direction? And Father, I pray as we understand you, you're always the God. Well, you've told us that if we start over with you, you're willing to start over with us. And so, Father, I pray that we would be quick to start over with you. So we just looked up today. We just thank you, God, that you have given it to us. This section of scripture, Father, I pray that you would make it real in the lives that are here. And that, Lord, we would put our our, our hands into these things and have them become part of who you continue to cause us to be. So, Lord, we just lift up today thanking you, Father, for your goodness and your graciousness that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things Sean may have announced already, but um, we do have a couple's retreat on the books. I believe it's in the bulletin, making plans for that. It's not until October. Um, somebody of our church is moving and they've asked for boxes and so if you're able to provide any boxes you can bring them back by tonight I, I don't know when they need them but that would be you know just packing boxes of some sort um, we are currently we asked about it a, a, a while ago as far as receiving money for children's ministry just kind of an update for what we're doing with that we didn't get the amount that we were thinking, but nonetheless, we did get a significant amount. Somebody did donate a swing set, so we're, con- we're currently putting that together. We have to get a rubber base, and so just to have a place for our children to go during services and after services, so it's, hey, get off the stage. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to discipline them in that manner anymore. 
And then we are going to be um, making motions towards building another classroom in the warehouse. Most of you probably don't know, behind that wall, right behind is the high school room, but behind that is another room this size that we have. And we pay that square footage every month, and so we're looking to build some more classrooms in there as well. Other than that, tonight we're going to be having our night of praise, worship, and communion. We didn't have communion last week, so tonight we're just going to enjoy the Lord. We're going to have extended worship. I'm going to be doing some, some scripture reading and some prayer, and then we're going to be celebrating communion together. God bless you guys. See you tonight. See you.